0: Welcome to another episode of the Circle Up podcast. I am recording this intro in Santa Teresa, Costa Rica. If you're looking at audio, I've got these palm trees right behind me. No tarp, no shirt. And I've got Mike Malusky in the background, DJing. So welcome. Thanks for tuning in. And this is a special episode. I thought about recording with this particular guest for a very long time because he is a... uh, He's the brother of my best friend, and he's also a close friend, and we shared some really powerful experiences together. And I always wanted to have him on the show because he is an absolute inspiration to me and to other men globally. Uh, He's a professional hockey player, plays in the NHL, currently um, drafted by and playing with San Jose Sharks. And in this particular episode... What I wanted to explore with him was about the mindsets that were needed to help him live the life of his dreams. Because at a very young age, when he was just a teenager, he decided he wanted to be a professional hockey player. He decided to go all in. He decided to have complete faith in that one objective. And um, he did that in uh, being drafted to the NHL scoring his first NHL goal, fighting his hero in front of 15,000 people live. Um, And so just a, a total powerhouse, a total inspiration. And I couldn't be more excited to dive into the mindset required to take full ownership of your life. We touched on the theme of competing with yourself. And then ultimately just controlling the way that you look at the world. And this podcast delivered it gave me exactly what I needed, and it really gave me a fire and an energy and an enthusiasm to go back into my life and tackle my goals again. And so couldn't be happier for you to be able to tune in to this episode. We appreciate you listening, and I hope that you get excited and apply some of the ideas from this conversation with my good friend and professional hockey player, Curtis Gabriel. we're in uh, Your brother and I, Ian, are in Monteverde. Costa Rica, and you are in a hotel room, or in Anaheim,
1: California. And I heard that you were recently in San Jose, Costa Rica, and that's the team that I, San Jose Sharks. So kind of a interesting. I was in San Jose, California, with you guys were in San Jose, Costa Rica. So now we've both changed locations.
0: Yeah, and you were just in Arizona, but
1: yeah, uh, we're, I think we're H- over, over over a month for training camp because we weren't allowed to be in our county because of the COVID restrictions in California
0: okay well based off the kind of the introduction that i did for this show the listeners who have never heard of you before have an insight that you're um, you know you're a professional hockey player and i also want to just make it crystal clear that um, the intention of this show is not to give a full background and context of your career Uh, i actually listened to your podcast with ian on the conversations worth having a show to prepare myself for this and it really felt like one of those like 60-minute documentaries right? Where he went through like all of these pivotal moments in your career. And I almost had this like moment of uh, uh, insecurity where I was like, wow, like he really knows a lot about uh, his guests. And then it was like, oh wait, they're bros. (laughs) He was kind of there for, he was there for all of it. So um, if, yeah, if the listeners are interested in kind of that play by play and all those juicy details, uh, I highly recommend episode two of the Conversation Worth Having podcast with you and your bro um you guys had a I was surprised I thought there would be a little bit more contention uh, but it was a very effortless conversation between the two of you
1: yeah thanks and I shared that when you shared that as well so thanks for sharing that uh on my story but yeah I don't know he we we definitely like see a lot of Mm -hmm. things the same way it's just how we execute them might be totally different so when we sit down to talk about it on a podcast it probably can come across with no you know, tension or anything like that. But if we started getting into more of like social issues, maybe there definitely would have been some because he's like the mm. permanent devil's advocate. But he's so educated on it. We, but no, it was good. That was just a very like what
0: it should have been—the first time talking to my bro on his podcast. That's what it should have been the first time. Yeah, and I'm excited to see that continue, and you two have more of those conversations. And I just don't want to—I don't want to cover the exact same things. But one of the the things that I did want to start off with is. He discussed like this this timeline of your career and all these exciting moments leading up to playing in the NHL. Um, there was things like uh, getting playing for the, the Newmarket Hurricanes, and I grew up in Newmarket, so I watched the Hurricanes when I was growing up playing hockey, and uh, getting drafted in the OHL, and then having a couple tough seasons, and then having some good seasons, and scoring some incredible goals, and then getting drafted to the NHL. I, I wanted to have you share of all of those pivotal moments that have led to this conversation, does any really stand out as kind of like a top three, top five? Um, you know, if this didn't happen, my life could have turned out completely different. And because we all, we all have moments like that, where only in hindsight do we realize how important it was. I was just wondering if you could place us in one of those and kind of talk me through uh, what was going through your head, through your head at that time
1: one of them okay so I have to pick one um I don't know I it could go many different ways I could go at the start and where I ended up but I think probably just scoring you know those goals in New Jersey when I was in the NHL because I'd played a certain amount of you know a good amount of games to that point I think I'd played like I want to say 25 games and only had one assist so to get those goals were huge um especially the second one against Montreal where I like got to see it coming and like I, I earned that goal the first my first NHL goal is kind of like a fluky one so it was nice to like really feel that one go in the net and be able to like really celebrate and like let it all out and be like hey like I can play here at least a little bit I know people don't think I can play a lot but I I do and that kind of cemented kind of that feeling that I can do I can do this more um so yeah, that, that's probably the one, because I think regardless of the other ones I would have mentioned, I think I would have eventually figured out a way to get to this level, just it would have been a different path. So that one was really like, okay, I can do this a bit more.
0: Yeah, and that, that first goal um, you were playing for New Jersey, it was right off the face off, right? I was watching a couple of your clips. I watched the Lucic fight last night. I watched your first NHL uh, goal last night. It didn't seem like a fluke to me. It was a, a great face off win. You were in the right spot and you put it top shelf.
1: No, I, but the the reason it was fluky is because the goalie's really tall, and he just reached up to catch it and was going wide of the net. So if he didn't oh, reach okay. up to catch it, it would have wouldn't have hit his glove above the crossbar and then gone down his back and in the net. So that's that's the part that was fluky.
0: Got it. And for those listening, uh, virtually everyone's going to know who Carey Price is, and he's the he was the goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, you were saying that 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 second goal you really felt like was um was it was, was a completely different experience, but you could see it going in before it was going in.
1: Yeah, like because I had to get on the forecheck, I had to help turn it over, and I got to the net, and then I knocked the puck down, and then also after knocking it down, on tip I'm able to like backhand it in the net, you know, and then have the room to kind of celebrate. Yeah, that's because the other one I didn't even see go in the net. The people just reacted and went, "Oh, it's great." Um, hey, <laughs> that, one, yeah, nice. that one was like, like I I played well the the, the game, and I was like, our team was playing well, and just kind of all the work I'd done to that point kind of that was that's
0: what came out kind of and that's how good of a feeling it was. Mm. One of the things I noticed between the, the conversation you had with, with Ian was um, the, the mental game and the conversations that you had um, I noticed like you, you mentioned playing your first NHL game and what I would have expected was for these to be all these nerves and for there to be a lot of self-doubt and be like, oh, you know, am I going to be able to show up and deliver like they're expecting? But the way you described it is that you were just buzzing and just happy to be there and just like, couldn't believe it. and were just charged up. You, you mentioned that you had so much energy you could run through the boards. Yeah. I was just, um, yeah, I just felt like I just, there's no way I was going to be
1: tired that night the first night I could just go and you. Uh, I've heard, I know I've known enough about hockey that people have talked about and you play your first couple games, games, kind of run on adrenaline. And what, when it gets hard is when you kind of lose the, adrenaline rush in a a way you acclimatize to it a bit so I just knew that I was going to have that for a little bit and try to use it the best I could I don't know if I used it as great as I could because I never stuck there really but um, still was still played well enough to not look out of place I guess
0: yeah and I think that's where I want to take this is because a lot of people have uh, nerves and they have anxiety before performing like uh, I've done a lot of public speaking and it's really important the mental conversation you have in terms of how you interpret the feeling like the clammy hands and the needing to pee and the, the heart racing um, so for you it sounds like you intentionally interpreted this adrenaline as i'm going to take advantage of this it means i'm excited about it can you walk us through that because i'm sure our listeners are just wondering like how do you play um you know when there's you know hundreds of thousands of people watching on tv and everything's being recorded and these are the highest level athletes in the world like what's going through your mind and how do you make sure that you're prepared mentally to be able to actually play your game? Yeah. And those ones I just knew I almost
1: had no pressure, right? Like I was going to just go probably fight someone, which I did, and then just play hard. But as you get on, you know, or even in being in the minors, I'd probably get more nervous for those games because you're expected to play Mm -hmm. well. So what you're talking about the same thing, like you have to pee a million times. Uh, I get all those things. I get all that, but I think that's why I, you know, I'm good as you know good per se at what I do because I enjoy it like it's like I love doing it so it's a passion so I, when I feel those nerves and stuff I just go back into you know I put all the work in to do this I mean it's never perfect work you're never going to execute practice perfectly or it's never to exactly the way you plan but you have put in a lot of time into it so I just I try to think about that and sometimes I've had times when I played a, I trained a whole summer and I got there I'm just like did I do anything this summer I was so nervous but uh then you just have to sit there and remind yourself and i've tried every technique there is writing it out and you know all that stuff Not but it's breathing yeah like i mean i've done everything i've stopped doing everything i've started doing it again it's kind of there's no answer for it it's just got to like got to gauge where you're at and how nervous you are and just plan accordingly and then obviously as you get older i'm way more used to that now and now i just kind of i don't even have to do it almost i just i just get as present as i possibly can and as emotionally engaged And that's when I'm gonna play my best, I know that now. So if I put in the work and practice, do the extra work that I know makes my body feel good, my body feels good, my
0: mind will be clear, and then I just go rip it. Yeah. One of the mindsets that I have observed in you is is, um, like a context between being an amateur and being a professional. And I really do see you over in this realm of being a professional. And what I mean by that is, having the discipline, putting in the work, doing it regardless of how you feel, showing up when you need to show up, um, like controlling as many of the elements, the barriers as possible. And the question that I was thinking of was, when did you make the decision that you were gonna have faith and you were gonna say, I'm gonna be a hockey player, I wanna be a professional hockey player, Um, you know, I love hockey this much that I'm gonna go for it. Because like, as an example, let's say I love playing the piano, Right, And, you know, I may go three, five years before any money comes back to me, right? And before you became a professional hockey player, you had to put in, was it, you know, how many countless hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of effort in all the late night practices and all the training camps. And it's just, all of of that had to, the faith you needed to have to go into this. Um, um, The question I have is, when did you make the decision that you loved hockey so much that you wanted to be a professional hockey player?
1: And why do you love hockey so much? Uh, so I started playing when I was five. So five from, from five to 16 was just playing hockey, just to play hockey with no intent of playing. And then when I went to try out, you know, on a whim from my mom for the Hurricanes, and I didn't think anything of it, she said, your friends are trying out and you're better than them. It's only 50 bucks. I said, okay, if you want me to. And from just going there, I just... I guess that's just how anything works. It's just competence, competency and who can rise to the occasion. And I seem to always, like, you don't even know where that comes from sometimes, right? You just rise to the occasion. It just happened. I just went out there and played, and I played well enough where I got good feedback. And then I, um, I went and played AAA that year instead of playing on the Hurricanes because I wasn't good enough. And they said come back the next year, and that's when I was told to play more physical if I wanted to start moving on and that's when I when I enjoyed that part of the game and realized okay I'm not a goal scorer anymore I can move up in this certain role and and I latch on to that then I was like mm. Mm. making the hurricanes the next following summer them seeing the improvement you know and had a really good camp and then being like okay so at least I can go play here for a couple of years I think I'm good enough and smart enough I'll get a scholarship and then who knows from there so But really, when it really, I really make an opportunity to do this is when that later that summer, I just got on a whim again, got to try it with the Owen Sound Attack and made that team. So then it was like, okay, this is progressing very fast. So maybe I do have an opportunity to keep, you know, if I keep breaking through plateaus, can I keep getting better? Can I keep rising to the occasion? Uh, So probably, yeah. So like that grade, I guess that's grade 12 uh, for most people. That's, you know, 16 turning 17 is when I kind of realized, okay, I'm going to go for this. Um. And then why do I like it so much? It's just it's, it's – I think it's just flat out the hardest sport to play, you know. Uh, I, football is super hard on your body, and I get that, but it's short bursts of spe- – you know, you only p- plays 10, 15 seconds max, and they all get to reset and do it again. You know, hockey's, you've got to be able to have endurance like crazy, you know, 45-second minute shift all out, but you also got to be quick. You have to be strong. You have to be flex, you have to be flexible enough to get hurt not get hurt skating, and then you have to have a, a tool in your hand a stick and be skilled enough to do all the things with that in, in coordination with your skating, which again you 're oh, skating on cool. blades on ice yeah and then you also you 're playing against other elite hockey players that you 're allowed to hit each other and you 're trying to you know you 're not trying to hurt guys but you 're trying to break their will by hitting them that 's what I try to do i 'm not trying to hurt them I'm trying to make them quit and be like i don 't want to go in the corner with that guy again so mm. I just think how it 's it's such, it's a combination of everything. It's, it's so hard to play. And then mentally on top of that, it's, it's a game where we know and, and people say, you know, sometimes, some people don't like hockey because it can be luck sometimes. Well, yeah. Cause it can be a game of just the smallest fractions and, but usually that's great about it is the team that works the hardest and wills themselves there more often than not, is always going to win. So I think that's with all the skill it takes, it takes even more will to play. That's why I think
0: it's so cool. There's so many themes in, in what you said there. The first thing that comes to mind is, Ian always reminds me that LeBron James played basketball for 10 years before he ever got paid to play basketball, right? He, was, you know, he started playing basketball at six years old, just like you, you start playing hockey at five. And, and I think that's relevant for anyone listening, uh, maybe I can get your take on this as well, is that it takes a long time to get really skilled at something. Yeah. And so if you have a desire to be a piano player or like as an example for myself i want to be um, a world-class public speaker and storyteller and communicator you know giving myself the freedom to take five to ten years to get really good at it before worrying about putting the pressure on myself okay all right now that i've been doing this for 10 years like i really should be good at this like like giving myself the space and so you had all this time before like here's a here's the moment is like I'm not actually a goal scorer, I can be an enforcer. So to really figure out what's my game, to really figure out what are the successful actions that I can take that are gonna make a difference here.
1: Yeah, like what kind of public speaker are you gonna be? You can't just, you, you, first of all, you just work on speaking, and then as you go through it, you start to figure out what works for you, what's your strengths, what are your weaknesses at the certain skill. So that was go. the same for yeah, me, I played for 11 years, just playing obviously near the end I started to do more like camps and working at it more but then from that age to now so you're going on 23 years almost in total but the last 11 12 years have been really concerted effort and I'm still learning every trying to learn every day and I don't think you ever stop learning in anything because if you do then you're getting worse that's an old saying right if you're you're not getting better you're getting worse so you can't really stay the same at something I don't think
0: yeah um, Rohn said if you're not growing you're dying
1: so same philosophy. yeah exactly so you have to have that mindset and if you're not we're human beings and we're you know we have a reward system built into our biology um and it's it's easy to see why you know you went and killed an animal you got to live for another week you know that's mm-hmm. our version of that is we do hard things and we try to accomplish the goals and when we get them we get rewarded with peace happiness kind of fulfillment but at the same time you can't get lost in that the, the end goal is what's you know, going to bring you the peace and happiness. It's the journey that you have the context to get there. If I just woke up one day, I an NHL, I'd be like, holy crap, this is cool. But it's like, there's no context to it. So you have to fall in love with that, that journey. And that's where you can't do things, you can't do amazing things if you don't love it because you won't make it. It's not, it's no matter how much you love it, it's still so hard, so
0: hard mm-hmm. to get here. Yeah, especially if you want to be you know, world-class. It's one thing if you're just doing it for enjoyment or if it's casual. But if you're saying, I'm going to be a professional and you're kind of planting that flag, it's going to be so hard that you need to love it, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that's where the, the process comes in. And I, I want to acknowledge you for being an example in my life for someone that really inspires me. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show in the first place as someone that uh, really does love the process. And uh, so thank you.
1: Thank you. That. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. But you don't always love it. That's the part, right? Like you love it, but sometimes it's you gotta go to dark places to to to
0: get it mm. done. And then what what do you rely on then? Like what is the what's the fallback? Just either for me in
1: my sport it's competitiveness. So mm. I I guess, you know, we always talk about with you and Ian to talk we talk about the ego and removing the ego, but you have to be able to turn that on for hockey, I think, because at the end of the day, if we're all just like, kumbaya, oh, it's going to be fine, no no big deal, then you won't have that. And that's what I kind of see, honestly, in the NHL sometimes now. It's like, I don't know, I see it. Some of the games are a little boring. Some of the games are a little, ah, we're just going to go out and try our best and be buddy-buddy with the other guys in the team. And, you know, we'll all collect our sweet paycheck and go golfing in the summer where it's like, sure. I know, like when I get pissed, I'm wanting to beat you. I want to own you out there, you know, like that's, what drives me. So when stuff gets bad, I think of all the guys that tell me you can't do it and all that stuff, or the guys mm. that church in games and the, the, the crap that's happened to you, and how good it feels to like get a leg up on someone and win a game and beat a team you do hate. So I don't know, like even in some of the skates we do, we have like you know taxi skates. Like I want the intensity high because that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. If it was just like go around shoot the puck, I get bored of that. You know, I want okay. the hard hard parts of it. So I think that's what fires me up when shit's bad. So again, that com- get competitive spirit going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you, and then just like training. There's days I don't want to do a hard bagger, or during this week in practice, I had to do a four, little four day quarantine coming up here, and then I was off the ice, and that's out of my process. I didn't get to do my process, so I had to do it in the weight in the in my hotel room, and I hated that. But I knew if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have peace of mind to then know I did as best as I could to get back on the ice and feel the best as I can, and then when I go back in the ice, I had to do the extra skating after practice when nobody's out there. You know, because I know that for me, it works for me. That's what gets me ready. My legs feel good. My lungs feel good. My head feels good. I play good. I can sleep at night. So I didn't want to do that. But every time I'm like, oh, here we go again. I got to put in the work again, put in the work again, put in the work again. And that's when sometimes when I'm out there, I don't want to do the third or fourth set. My legs are burning and nobody's watching. And I'm just like. Well, do you want this or not? And you talk to yourself, and you get pissed at yourself. That's why, I like David Goggins, when he talks about, he turns into Goggins. He gets crazy. He gets evil. <laughs> you got to kind of have that in you, I think.
0: Do you have a Do you have a name for that? You call him Gabriel? Or what do you call him?
1: No, I don't get it like that. But I just kind of get like, I just I, I you know from reading his listener's audiobook six times, I understand mm. that kind of concept. I probably did it before without knowing what it was, but I just kind of do it now.
0: Yeah, talk talk to me about that really briefly because. Um, again when i look at your career and when i watch you on social media and when your brother talks to me about you and just how like you you you're able to tap into these dark places and you and you do the meal plan 100% down to the grain of rice and you really uh, it sounds like the self dialogue that you have is the most important part of your game um, yeah. and then and then like just to to nail the the point right on the head is I listened to David Goggins, David Goggins audiobook. book. Um, what's it called? It's a, you can't, hurt, can't me. hurt me. Can't hurt me. And my friend from, from the office last year was listening to the audio He said, yeah, you should listen to it. I was like, okay, great. So I listened to it once and that was fine. But here you are listening to it six times, which makes sense that the mental game to you is the most important game. 100%, man. Like you, you can have all the skills. I've
1: seen guys that have all the skills. They just have no brain whether that's a competitive brain or just like a care for the, you know, a care, or they just, they really like to just shoot a puck. That's it maybe, but they really like to stick handle, but they don't like to get in the corner with a guy way bigger than them and take the puck from them. You know, mm. just, you either have it or you don't. And it's, but I've also heard that a coach say you can work on it, but that's to me the best part of the game. So I get sick and tired sometimes of practice where we do shooting drills and all this stuff. Like, yeah, it's great. There's a time and place of that, but we need to practice being competitive. And that's, that's what fires me up. So if I'm not confident that I put in the work, how am I going to go into those competitive environments and do well and feel confident because that internal dialogue is confidence. It can be really negative, And when it's going well, it can be really positive. So yeah, if that's not dialed in and you don't have like, I didn't early in my career, I didn't have things in place to react to things properly. And it hurt me. So I've made that mistake five times. Now I've documented it. I've read it. I've got into it and now i know i have like warning signs
0: that come up i always know when i'm getting a little bit off my path if you were to extrapolate this concept out to you know being useful for somebody that's listening that wants to be a professional in whatever it is like a a writer or a musician or maybe just better at their job um how would you describe taking action on this concept of practicing being competitive? Because for me, I'm working on building a nonprofit, a charity, it's just 100% volunteer-based. The Circle Up Project is is creating a space for men to be able to come together and to talk about the men they've always wanted to be so that they can be held accountable to taking steps towards that, um, being a public speaker. So if you were to extrapolate it out to someone like me or somebody else, how would you, how would you coach someone on approaching that mindset? Yeah, because
1: so if it's not, you're not in an actual competitive sport, then I would just associate that you versus yourself as that competitiveness. So then it's just how often do you want to get uncomfortable? Like, do you want to do it four days a week? Or is it going to take you to do it seven days a week and maybe have four hours of do nothing downtime? And then you get back to a whole week's slate of work getting uncomfortable because that's how important your goals are to you, you know? So I even wrestle that with myself In my job, we know we need rest. But then I'm always like, how much rest do I really need? I play the least on the team. Yeah, I hit everybody and stuff. But like, I could go for a jog on a day off to make sure my legs are going the next day. I could go stick handle some extra. I don't have, I'm not able to right now on my stick and stuff. But I do at home and I'm looking at an Airbnb in San Jose to stay in that has a great garage floor stick handle on. So I can put an extra time there. Like, I look at that. So I just think it comes down to a person What you do it's just it's not me I compete against myself and that's the battle but then obviously you think sports I compete against other people but it's always against you against yourself so it's just how often do you want to get uncomfortable but so I think you can just gauge how bad you want something by how often you get uncomfortable doing it like even though you love something some days I don't want to go do play hockey or train or do whatever like some days I'm just not feeling it everybody has those days you know, it was, I haven't been at home in the winter for so long in Canada and the days were getting real short and I was like, holy frig, like this is different. And some days you're just like, you gotta, you may not feel you did the best, but you went out and did it. You still got it, got something done. So that's getting uncomfortable. You could have just, I could have just stayed inside and stayed warm, you know, instead of getting out early and before the sun comes up to go get to my skate an hour out of town because of COVID, you know, I had to get uncomfortable to be able to be here to get ready to play. So all about you versus yourself that's uh but that's it's so easy to work when you feel good so easy to be like ah, oh, i'm feeling good i can do this podcast with kurt this is great but then do you want to go do you know the practice speech in your in your room look at yourself in the mirror for an hour and a half not everybody wants to do that and the people that don't aren't successful yeah
0: no. I couldn't I couldn't agree more and I, I actually like to double down on this you versus you concept because you mentioned it on the podcast with Ian but one of the things that comes to my mind is you know that getting in front of the mirror um, I did a public speaking contest in 2020 at the end of the year called speaker slam and uh, I had competed in this contest before and this was probably the best delivery of a speech that I've ever gave I, I came first place won a big big uh, grand prize but really the the game was is how prepared am I going to be? Because only I can know how good this speech can get because they're just going to see what the end result is. But they're not going to see any of the the five to to ten people that I consulted with beforehand on what they thought about the speech and the three people that I went line by line with to make sure that it was as uh, as succinct as possible. And then the, the tens of hours of just repeating it um, walking the streets of Toronto, doing it by myself, so that the day that I showed up, it looked like it was the first time that I ever gave that thing, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and I blew myself away, frankly, um, with the delivery, but it was just because of how much went into it beforehand, and I really do think it was a conversation with myself of how good can I make this thing. Yeah, and you, and you, you I watched it, that's the one I watched, and I
1: didn't know you actually won, so congrats on that, I just know you killed it, but what allowed you to not only, you were able to deliver it, and you weren't just delivering it you because you knew it so well you were able to use the emotion that came up with it that that's what made it special you know like that's what took it over the top if you didn't get emotion say you practiced like a 25% less you might have been a little bit more in your head and a little less present of what you were actually saying because you were you lived it already so many times you just went up and enjoyed it and that's like what Tom Brady's going to try to do today he kicked his family out of his house for 12 days he has like a 24,000 square foot house and he had to kick his family out of the house like Colin Cowherd was talking about how ridiculous that is. You can't find a half 5,000 square feet to be quiet for a couple hours. He kicked him out. So that's the preparation that this man does. That's how competitive he is. So that, that's exact, exactly like what you did. He's just doing it on a fucking Super Bowl scale, you know? So yeah. that's, what it, that's what it takes. How in how, the most successful people are a little crazy to normal people? There's, it's okay to be a normal person. We say all the time, do whatever makes you happy, right? But if you want to ascend to those levels and stuff, yeah, people are going to think you're a little cuckoo walking around the streets of Toronto talking about your your dad and mental
0: health yeah it was it was a it was weird I got a bunch of weird looks but uh I think we're we're easy enough going guys that we just brush it off and smile and say yeah I'm just practicing a speech like don't worry I'm cool <laughs> it's all good um I, I really like this concept have you ever read Mark Manson's a lot of not giving a fuck it's probably like
1: one of the big billions of books Ian's told me to read that I haven't read so probably not
0: Yeah, that's okay. Uh, He told me to read it too, and that's why why I read it. But um, one of the concepts is like deciding very earnestly and intentionally about what you're actually going to care about and your career being one of those things and the speech being one of those things. The last point on kind of you versus you, because I think this is going to be a really powerful theme for everyone here, is uh, you mentioned um, with Ian this beep test. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that's you my, did. That's
1: probably my version of what you just talked about with your uh, speech. So I, I, I knew I was going, I just made the hurricane. So that was the first goal. And then I got the opportunity at a random skate to get a scouted by the Owen Sound attack. And so I went to that tryout and me and my mom actually drove up to Owen Sound like a month before the camp and just looked around and kind of visualized, you could be playing here. Mm-hmm. So it kind of put that seat in my head. Like I've already been here. We went and ate a pizza by the, by the bench and uh, in the, by the water. And we're like, all right we could do this we could do this so visualized it and then uh um, went back and kept training um with randy smith my guy and we just we ran a lot of running he was old school with his
0: conditioning that was the name randy smith because he one of the things he said is when the guys were all like dude why are you trying so hard dude why are you running so hard and randy said
1: he, was he's like, like, yeah. he wants it. He's like, what the like I, the older college guys who, who would come home from college would make fun of me because I'd be going so hard out in front of them. They'd charge me to slow down. And he's like, don't slow down. Get after it. And I was like, I'm not slowing down. I'm trying to be the best me out there. And they all joke about it and laugh about it. But out of those guys, I'm the one that's still playing hockey. That's for sure. And uh, so I kept I kept running and that was that summer. And then I went to the, they said they had a beep test and was in the back parking lot of the the rink I Drove by that I'd already visualized, and I just smoked that thing. And I was a lot lighter back then too. I mean, I'm two fifteen. I was 190 pounds, 6'4 oh, wow. just running body, right? So I, 18, beat, yeah. I beat everybody. But I, I, so the heat I was in, or the group I was in, I guess I, everybody left, and I just kept running for another two levels. I could have stopped in one, but I just kept pushing myself because I was like, why would I stop? This is what I did all summer, and that kind of pushed it over the edge for them to be like. Coupled with being first in line at every drill and being right in front of the coach and being the tryhardy looking right in the eye. Like I want it so bad, but <laughs> feel, it, feel it. I want it. I don't give a crap. People think that like chirping me about that. I'm like, damn straight. I did. So that's why I'm sitting here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is so important. Cause we've talked about the ego earlier on the show, but one of the things is it does is um, if it's healthy, one of the things is it does is it's, it's playing your game, right? It's not trying to look good. Right, it's I know what I want, I know what my goal is, and I'm gonna do what it takes to make it happen. Uh, And an unhealthy ego or a weak ego is gonna say, I want to win, but I also wanna be comfortable, and I don't want these guys to think that I'm some uh, try hard. But it's it's like, no, I know what I want, I'm gonna do what it takes. And I think success leaves clues. So if anyone's listening to these stories of, um, you know, being first in line, and putting in the extra repetitions in the training camp. Like, there's so many clues here that we can pick up on. Yeah, I said that in a post the other week. I just followed this guy who
1: puts out motivational videos, and it's like, you know, it was like a video about the hard days and not wanting to do it or battling through it and blah, blah, blah. Dis- discipline kind of takes over motivation and passion sometimes. But I just wrote, like, like, I don't give a, like, I don't care that you view me as a tryhard and all this stuff because the cliches are true. I used to hate when I was really young and they'd be like, oh, you just got to work hard and come back the next day and show up again. Like, even now I'm like, oh, I hate like cliches, but they're, the reason they are cliches because they're true. It's a straight up facts. And it's, that's just my ego being like, oh, we don't put the work in today or whatever that part of me that's like, doesn't want to put the work in today. But I'm like, no, like every time I just follow things by the book and go all out, good things happen. But you still, your body still fights it. Your body still wants comfort, and you know, to not feel those, you know, pain and all that stuff. But that's the feelings of, you know, pain and all that stuff is why we. Nobody would play hockey in the right mind. It's a painful sport. Like you're in constant agony. Basically, your legs are burning. You're crashing. Into yeah. people. Especially me, I'm fighting people. Like it's, I'm constantly like my joints my elbows fat on this side my knee i bash it into the wall it's still a little like numb where i got hit into the boards like it's just constantly yeah, like yeah, a got, scar <laughs> yeah 10 stitches in my face whatever so it's just it's just the way it is so it, that's you're where, where you're the feeling of life comes from man all the, doing all the hard stuff that's it, it sucks but we're not as we know we're here for a short time not a long time so that you want to pack in as much feeling as you can do all the hardest stuff you can yeah and i and i, I want to
0: make sure that, um our listeners are reminded that this is like whatever you want, right? Because like one of the things that Ian and I talk about in our podcast a lot is we're doing literally, our, we're, we're literally living our dream and we're out here abroad, adventuring, I'm trying to make every day unique and fun. And we're saying that not to say that you should be on the road or else you're not living your life. It's it's I want to. I want to do me so that other people have permission to do them. Right, whatever that version is of Curtis Gabriel playing in the NHL, being a professional hockey player and, uh, you know, Ian and I being on the road, it's whatever that is for you.
1: Yeah. And it's all, as long as you're, you know, following the law, not being a bad person, I don't give a shit what you do. And I don't, I don't care. I don't, I I'm, I'm too busy worrying about my stuff, you know, but that's yeah. the, that's when I step up about social issues and stuff is when I see people just doing things that are not okay. And I don't have time for that. But if you're living your life, you'd be in the truest form yourself and you're not hurting anybody else just give her everything man that's that's what it's all about it's what it's all about it's funny how every time I talk about these things or think about it. like even me sitting here and saying do all the hard stuff it's it's where the life is the best and my hair still standing up because I'm like I gotta go do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next you know what I mean like that's what makes it it's so easy to say but then my body even knows sitting here like oh I'm gonna have to go harder practice tomorrow you to get ready to play hopefully I get to play Tuesday I'm gonna have to put in work tomorrow like that's what keeps us out of that default mode network and not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs contemplating our existence and why yeah. life is the way it is no you got to be present and doing things you love that's where peace is yeah and i, I think
0: um, in our men's circle we talk about monkeys and that's like the chattering monkeys is the you know should i do this today um you know waiting to be comfortable to do these things but it's action that shuts that up and the key is is that the monkeys will never stop even you as a professional hockey player, I'm getting paid literally to do this work, but there's degrees and spectrums of how hard I could work. Like you're saying, you're literally looking for an Airbnb that has a massive garage so you can get your practice in. That's not necessary. That's you going above and beyond um, and trying to put yourself in a position to take action so those monkeys shut up for a little bit. Um, I wanna talk about a time where, where, where everybody in the world was collectively experiencing a lot of doubt and uncertainty and monkeys at the same time. And that was like at the beginning of quarantine that was early 2020. If I recall correctly, you moved back to live with your mom, you know, in sound. And so can you walk me through like, kind of like what that was like mentally for you to now be in a position where there's a lot of uncertainty? You know, I don't think you had a a contract at this point. So, you know, a lot, a lot is up in the air. I can just tell that, you know, uh, there was probably a lot going on for you mentally that uh, you were battling with.
1: Yeah, and I hate saying it, it's, but it's true, but I always preface, like, I know people are still going through an awful time, like, we're having a mental health pandemic at the same time as this quarantine and, pan, you know, health pandemic, but um, I couldn't have had a better quarantine, and um, it's because I put in work on it, you know, I came home, I was 27 not where I wanted in professional hockey I played the whole year in the minors and I was told I was not gonna and things changed and I didn't handle it well coupled with things I couldn't control so I was just sick of not handling not only worrying about things I could control that's I tried to you know I'm just I couldn't get a hold of that I always want to worry about external factors and things out of my control bothers the hell out of me and that in turn stops me from controlling what I can so I came home and then Ian suggested do the self-authoring thing, which I don't necessarily like Jordan Peterson and support him, but I still have yet to find something that replaces this. But uh, um, yeah, I went through my whole life and found out, you know, the five times that I made the same mistake over and over again, and this is not controlling what I can control and letting my emotions take over. So I did that and I recognized that finally, I also met the girl of my dreams at the same time, which is obviously pretty rare. Um, so she really has helped with that. And then, uh, but I had a good week and a half, two week period when I first got home where I just kind of moped and I was very unhappy, very unsatisfied. And that really got me back on track, putting in, you know, a week and a half of straight writing in my mom's basement of my 16,000
0: words of writing out my life. Um, so yeah, can you can you just create a little context for that? So Ian mentioned that there was this program that helped him to understand himself better, that self-authoring you No, know, he, he
1: hadn't done it yet. He hadn't, yeah, self-authoring okay. program by Jordan Peterson, but he hadn't done it yet. He wanted to do it. It's like a two-for-one. We did it at the same time. And then we're able to okay. not only help ourselves, but help our relationship where I could read his and he could read mine. Yeah. So that'd be pretty cool. And I, I did a little- It's really useful exercise. Yeah, I, I think everybody should do it. And I got some other people to- I paid for a couple other people of my pe- fans on Instagram to do it. And it really helped some people who had gone through like suicide in their life and stuff like that. So I think everybody should do it.
0: Sorry. Uh, talk to me about some of the, the story, like a, a story did that you, you went back and relived by writing this out. Cause you mentioned making the same mistake over and over again. Same thing five times. Just, you know, didn't go the way I
1: expected it to. Like, I it went. I think early on in my career, it went so much the way I expected it, making it insurmountable in odds. I just thought it was going to continue, and that was ridiculous to think. And then I kind of got me in a thought pattern of like, oh, if I just work hard, then I'll get whatever I want. And I worked harder than anyone probably, or hard. I went hard at myself and me versus me, and always came out working hard. But it didn't go the way I wanted. It. And every time that happened, I just kept, you know, being basically a crybaby about it and a, a suck about it and a sore loser. So you know, happened multiple times. And I uh, was just, you know, in the summers I'm happy I'm training and work towards my goal. And then the season I'd have all the criticism and the things not go my way and it would be deep and dark and terrible. So I just was like, I I'm, love like this game too much. I love this game too much to have to go through these ups and downs swings so terribly. Like it's not healthy, first of all, and two, it's not going to help me reach my goals. So finally able to recognize that and then be like, just working at, you know, anytime I felt, you know, a little like off, which I didn't in the summer, I just would read myself authoring, I would be, you know, consuming as much Gary Vee or all these different types of things talking to Ian about just, you know, perspective is everything and looking into happiness and all those things. So that's really changed where now I'm you know, here I, I, and I, yeah, I trained, I had no contract. I trained really hard. I poured a bunch of money into investing into myself or working hard at it, knowing that, believing that if I could control what I could, keep a good mindset, something would come my way. Got a new agent, got me a contract. And that's what's allowed me to come in here. And at training camp, I felt great, but it didn't go my way. But it's, I kept a positive frame of mind the whole time. I had fun for first time ever in an NHL training camp. I wow. actually enjoyed being there. Like enjoyed going to the rink every day. Didn't know the outcome. Didn't know if I was going to play great, but I enjoyed it. And then that allowed me to go down to the minors with a good positive attitude instead of being crybaby. I'm not in the NHL and I played amazing, you know, amazing. And got myself back up here right away. And now I'm on the taxi squad. I haven't played, but I'm still just sitting here. I enjoy being in an NHL hotel. I enjoy the perks. I'm enjoying training and even the things that don't go my way, things that don't go my way. Like we were talking before this started. I'm like, nah, you know what? It's out of my control. So now everything happens. I just quickly go, is it in my control? Is it out of my control? make a decision. If it's not, let it go. If it is work at it. So it seems so easy. It's harder to do, but I've done a really good job so far and I'm very alert and aware for like bad things that are going to come out or the monkeys are going to come too loud, or whatever, like you're talking about. I just, just every day is a new day. Good perspective.
0: Grateful. Yeah. And the, it does, it definitely seems like there has been a shift in you and I've noticed it and. And like, as an example, we described talking before the show where there was a part of you where you were like, kind of like, had this tension, right? And you were you were doing all of the disciplines, you're putting in all the work, but there was like a constant, uh, you know, uh, constant tension throughout the entire experience. And now I see you, put doing all the disciplines, putting in all the work, and instead of like a tension, it's almost re- replaced by like a, a light optimism, right? And so it's still it's still positive, it's still moving you in the right direction. But, you know, it almost seems like there's been this weight lifted off your shoulders.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you apply that to different things, because my job is very critical. Like, you got it. My mom's always like, you got to remember that, like, for a little bit, I thought I had like mental health issues almost in a way, because she's like, no, but you're happy in the summer. You never have them. We never have them when you're competing, right? She's like, no. So you're like, when you're people start, things start changing, and you're in a season and things change by the day, and it's so up and down, that's when you start to get down or whatever. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense. So I had to kind of. I organically fell into the activism, but that's allowed me like a different space to like outlet a lot of energy. And then now working on my social media brand and just other things outside of hockey, that when I come back to hockey, I'm like, Oh, I get to go to practice tomorrow. Like I forgot about that. Cause I was working on other stuff and doing podcasts and doing all this stuff. So it like refreshes me in a way where I'm not thinking about it yeah. all day anymore. So that also, I think really, really helps. And I know that I'm not just a hockey player. I'm a person first that plays hockey. That's a monumental change. Like I'm a son, brother, girlfriend, boyfriend, all that stuff before I'm a hockey player, activist, and then I go out and get to play and compete. And that's like my fun space. And then I can come out of that space, whether it's good or bad and jump into another
0: one and clear my head. Yeah, and uh, like early on when you were in quarantine, when you said that you were in this like kind of week or two of feeling like you're in the dumps, but then you picked it back up. uh, I think that's really the key because it's okay to not feel yourself. Right? It's okay to feel sad, it's okay to grieve, it's okay to, to feel lazy and, and indulge in that laziness. Um, the challenge is you know, that, that concept we talked about earlier where it's you're either growing or you're dying. Right? So if you, if you allow the, the sadness to persist and you allow um, things that are outside of your control to really interrupt your, your mood, for a long period of time, then you could see how you would slowly start to shift down. You bounced back, you did self author, and you said, I'm gonna take ownership of what I can take ownership. I remember watching your Instagram videos and like for hours every day, you were stick handling and shooting and running and working out. And I was just like, this is so inspiring to see someone who uh, admits the the entire world, uh, uncertainty and fear and doubt everywhere. You're like, I'm gonna put in a solid day's effort and control uh, my discipline and work ethic and my positivity. Like you said, you were listening to Gary Vee and listening to David Goggins six times in a row. Um, and I, and I want to transition into this volunteering piece and to talking about uh, masculinity and talking about your relationship as well with Michaela because you don't attract into your life a high quality woman like Michaela, who is a, you know, in the public eye and very desirable, but like you said, the woman of your dreams, unless you are being the man you have always wanted to be. It's not possible. It doesn't work like that, right? Because yeah. you attract what you are. And so I want to give you kudos that you were, you were taking action Thanks. despite everything that was happening in the world. Cause I think it's really inspiring. Um, no matter what you're going through right now, there's always somewhere you can start. Mm-hmm. Like I could have
1: been a grumpy dude and just, you know, not open myself up to her, but I've always been a very open person. So I kind of, you know, I'm have a little leg up that way. But right away, I just told her everything I was going through, I think from the first time we talked. So, uh, and she told me what she was going through and that's kind of put her, you know, I wasn't trying to be like super cool or wasn't closed off, like I was vulnerable. And that led me to, you know, her loving me, me loving her, like that's what we're trying to get out. You don't have to be this like tough dude that treats women like crap and, you know, doesn't answer them or, you know, has to wait a certain amount of time, like just be you. Cause if if you're not going to be you, you're not going to attract what you want you know so I'm just being what I am and she came into my life and and it's been awesome so you know she doesn't she's she's someone like you said in the public eye and stuff she gets a lot of like crap from dudes thinking that she wants to be treated a certain way she's just a normal girl too when it comes down to it that wants to be loved and cared for and somebody be straight up honest with her so yeah it's If I was into the hockey culture anymore, I was, when I was young and dumb, I probably was, but now I've kind of dug myself out of that and I understand mental health and being vulnerable as a strength. And that's, what's led me to
0: having a great relationship with her. Yeah. I think that's such an important conversation for you and I to have is, is about being yourself, because if you misrepresent yourself with the intention of um, looking a certain way for a woman or a man or, or a friend or a partner, then the expected behavior is going to be that mask you are wearing versus you actually being yourself, which is so dangerous because now you have to wear this mask or else you're not going to get the response that you thought. And so what I love about the way that you show up in the world is I'm going to be myself and then I'm going to let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Um, and by doing that, you seem to be getting some, some pretty positive results. Yeah. That's well, what Ian
1: used to watch is uh, when he was going through puberty and getting into high school, he started to be like, you know, it used to be like magic. He liked football. And now he's like, girls, interesting. This is an interesting topic. And he started watching how to talk to girls on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Freedom from outcome. He'd go up to 99 girls, still go up to the 100th one. And that's the one that'll come through. You know what I mean? That she'll like you or whatever, not get rejected. So it's, it's almost like that where why would I want something, whether it's hockey, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's anything in my life that's not for me. So I'll just be me, but that doesn't mean I can be an ass. That doesn't mean all, you know, you can do it and, and take advantage. You have to be a good person, but be true to who you are. And then that's, what's going to attract back into your life. It's so true. Like, why would you want anything but that? Why did, and it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter. Like I have a very small circle of close friends. Like it keeps get it's gotten smaller. Honestly, it's my mom, Michaela, Mark, mm-hmm. you and Ian. That's about it. That's really, I mean, Kevin, maybe a little bit, but he's over and playing basketball in Europe and been out of touch a bit. So. Uh, I don't really need more than that I don't need to please everyone They do great if not I used to really care about that but I don't really care about it anymore
0: yeah this this conversation about um, you know having a social circle that you can rely on that you can count on that knows where you are and you know where they are Um, you know one of the things we talk about in mental health is that mental health everybody has it The question is, is where are you on the spectrum at any given moment from healthy all the way to crisis? There's stress, there's struggling, there's crisis. And so starting from there, starting from we all have mental health is really empowering. And then knowing what's kind of the the foundation for somebody, which is why having deep relationships is important. Because if I notice that we talk about mental health from a thoughts, feelings, and behaviors perspective. So if I notice that you haven't posted on social media for five days, and that's one of the regular behaviors, it's very easy for me to be like, okay, well, you know, we're not talking about what's normal. We're talking about what's consistent to the individual, right? So what's normal for you? And that's going to be nuanced and different for everybody. So I can actually pay attention to that. And now you're saying, you know, I've got the social circle that um, being vulnerable with is actually super valuable. Can you talk to me about that? Because I actually, sometimes you could you could talk to a stranger, but I wouldn't really, I don't really find myself even with audiences when I speak to youth women's all It's about finding people you trust mm-hmm. and beginning yeah. to build a bridge where you could say, hey, you know what, if, I, if I'm ever struggling with something, it's like building that bridge before you even need it. If I'm ever struggling with something, can I talk to you about it? Um, can you walk me through, um, you know, if you ever, had an experience where you needed to be there for someone, or they were there for you, and how did you cultivate that type of relationship where you could actually be open? Because this toxic masculinity is, I don't, I, I'm not going to talk about what I'm going through. I'm going to be a lone wolf. I can do this all alone. I'm macho, and that, that's the impression that it gives off. But um, you know, that's not the way that I think uh, is very productive um, or effective when it comes to taking care of our mental health and taking care of our friends and family.
1: Yeah, no, I think I am predisposed to it because I lost the way I lost my dad. So uh, obviously, he took his own life when I was 10, and Ian was whatever, seven and a half. So I think me going through that turns into a positive. I turned it into because I understand that talking about it, that's where the healing is. That's where like moving on is. That's where things get better. So I think I got lucky in that way because for a while I kept it in. That didn't work. When I started talking about it, things got better. It's pretty black and white. So from then on, it just, you know, you know that everybody's probably going through something, whether it's a death or whatever, who knows, so many people just have chemicals off in the brain, probably like my dad did, you know, gambling addiction. So uh, I, it's probably hard for people, because if I didn't go through that, maybe I would be less open. And, you know, maybe my dad would have been a strong dude that, you know, don't show your emotions, like other people have to go through, right. And that can be almost harder in a way, like setting you up for like a longer learning process in life to get to the point where maybe we're at, where we understand that being vulnerable is a good thing. So yeah, now definitely all my relationships, relationships, I've had those hard conversations. So now everything else is just like, of course the bridges are set up to talk about those things. We, we, my relationship with my girlfriend, my mom, you know, is centered on how we're feeling day to day and checking in with each other. And we're all very aware of it. My mom probably the least aware because she's from an older generation that wasn't, you know, that wasn't as much of a thing. Um, but yeah, she'll talk to me just about, I was like, you hey, know, how's your day? Some days she's feeling crappy. She didn't go out for the walk. It was a little too cold and she should have just got up and gone and she would have felt a lot better. And she knows that. Like we kind of, like we, like I know how she works. She knows how I work. Um, so that's, is so important. So, and I just did a, uh, a call for a study on toxic masculinity and hockey and all the things that we talked about. Yeah. It's it's way more amplified in my sport than it is in normal society because we're supposed to be hyper aggressive and everything. So, I don't know. Sometimes I think guys think I'm a little, I'm very open on social media and, and, but that's also kind of very different than most of the guys, tough guys are really like hard, strong dudes.
0: Right. So it's kind of like weird. Yeah. Especially after being in hundreds of fights in the NHL and like being an enforcer, you'd expect that, you know, when you go back into your personal life, you'd kind of be that same, that same hard way, but you're, you're one of the nicest guys, one of the most open guys that I've ever met in my life. So. Um, Thank you, buddy. Well, I wouldn't be able to embrace that. I wouldn't be able to do my job. I think if I kept everything in. Yeah. Um, for those people that are listening that, that you know, may be struggling, like as an example, um, you know, earlier last year, we lost my nephew, uh, Noah, he passed away. Uh, having my men's circle, having Ian, where I could literally just have, um, you know, a space where we were together and it was either a hand on a shoulder, it was a hug and I could just cry and I could just let it out and uh, not have to, to keep it in and do it myself. Um, you know, I got robbed last week. And again, just having people that I could, I can talk to and it wasn't I'm looking for you to solve my problems because it's like there's nothing to solve my nephew died there's nothing to solve um mm-hmm. I got robbed but there's nothing to solve all I'm looking for is just like to not feel alone right is to have someone there with me uh and to know that that you know they're looking out for me and then yeah. I can do the same thing for them but when I bottle it up man it just like it just keeps building this pressure
1: I know we all say we think everybody's going through things but until you're going through it and you're clouded by your own things going on you don't you don't think everybody else is going through it you think you're the only one for some reason and it's a weird trick our mind plays on, our, on ourselves so as soon as you open up about someone even if it is it's a random or having something built in like everybody's going through something and some people might say oh yours is better than his and mine's better than hers but it's all relative it's all relative Uh, And usually someone always has it worse and somebody has it better when you end up talking about it. And that's always a big out for me is that, man, that could have been worse. It was bad, but it could have been worse. Or, you know, you know, your nephew died, maybe your, your, the mom dies in the birthing labor, right? Like, I don't know. That's if you're not willing to look at that part of life and just sulk on the crappy part, you're going to live a pretty miserable life. Like life's embracing the good and bad. And when we talk about it, it's pretty clear that everybody goes through the good and bad. So like you said, You feel alone and you know the answers that you're not alone, but until you actually voice it and cry or whatever, let it out, that's when you release that emotion We're
0: social beings. Got to let that out. Yeah. And there's, and you've mentioned that, you know, as you develop in the public eye and you do more advocacy for uh, mental health, um, one of the questions you commonly get is like, you know, how do I, how do I reach out to people? How do I actually get support? So do you have any kind of insight for somebody that is struggling right now? Mm, What do they... I, you know, what do they What do they do, man? Well, I mean, I've I've talked to one guy who doesn't
1: necessarily feel like he has a lot of close relationships, and I said, you know, like, and that's one of his things he struggled with, and I said, you know, I first of all, I guess it's empathy, so I I can't relate to that personally. Um, I've very lucky to have supportive family members and stuff or whatever, and um, so I just you know you got to bring yourself down to their level and sometimes my girlfriend laughs that I lack a little bit of that I want to move on to the the next thing to, to get over it and not just sit in sure. sit down with someone yeah, like it's, yeah. it's, it's you, hard you to go to
0: solution mode them.
1: yeah instead of walking down the ladder and sitting with them I yell from the top of the ladder um so I think that's that's the first thing that you gotta gotta be open enough to sit with someone that's gonna be open like that and it can be anybody like he found me I did a podcast with them and we, ta- we talk a little bit now and he's it's it's helping him but just um you got to reach out whether it's any, it's anybody there's always someone out there willing to listen and I guess it's it sucks if it takes a lot of people but it's almost like the it's tough to tell someone who's having problems that free from outcome or I but you just got to keep putting it out there keep putting it out there if they're not willing to receive it then that's not the person that's there to help you so just keep keep asking and uh use whatever connections you have for I don't know it, it's tough for me to relate to because I've always had people so ready to help me but usually most most people have someone out there someone so you just gotta know that being vulnerable is strength that's the whole you know shift we're trying to have right you're sick not weak if you have a
0: super you know chronic mental illness so you gotta gotta seek the help nobody's can do this on their own yeah and the the foundation that we build this on is that everybody has mental health like in canada one in five people struggle with mental illness in any given year Um, only one in four get the help they need And the key factor in these stats is that if one in five have experienced challenges with mental illness, then it means five out of five people have the capacity to struggle. So we all have mental health. And when we start from that foundation of it could be you or it could be that person or it could be, and we don't know, then I can have some, I can take a deep breath and say, you know, the fact that I am struggling right now is, is okay. The fact that I'm struggling right now just means that I'm human. The fact that I'm struggling right now means that there's somebody that wants to be there for me if I give them the opportunity to do that. And Mm -hmm. when you said it's hard to have empathy because you have these people, I feel the same way because I have all these people, but that's because um, I've intentionally, over the years, engaged in community, right? So you've got folks in hockey, you've got folks in all sorts of places. You know, I have Toastmasters and, um, uh, Venture Canada and uh, Jack.org and all these different communities where if I, you know, if I put it out there and said, Hey, anyone there that could have a 10 minute conversation, anyone there could have a 20 minute conversation. Um, you know, they would do that. So, um, uh, my kind of the first place I go with people that, that say that they don't have that is, you know, just to whatever you love, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or, um, you know, Starcraft or playing hockey or for me, it's public speaking or reading books, like find communities of people that are like minded. Probably
1: gonna be somebody that
0: listens there. He'll definitely people that listen there. Um, The the kind of the only other the only other ideas that I wanted to talk about between you and I today, and I and I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. I know Ian's itching to have me join him in the bar and and go watch this game. um, Is around kind of this last concept of taking ownership. I know David Goggins talks about it. I know it's about, you know, at the beginning of quarantine. This is kind of like the theme for me of the next few months is uh, taking ownership of my life, controlling what I can control. Is there anything else that you, you know, want to want to share on this point because with everything that's happening in the world right now, it is so easy to to think of ourselves as a, a victim of circumstance that, you know, I, you know, because it's happening this way, you know, my life has turned out this way versus putting yourself in the driver's seat. And so I'm wondering, you know, how do you, how do you put yourself in the driver's seat, especially when times are tough? Yeah. Is there I, anything I, you- I'm a natural, I've been a
1: naturally negative person. You know, I'm so competitive. It lends it to being like a sore loser growing up and you know, if if I don't win, I'm not a good person, you know, that's kind of how competitive you think you have to be to get this higher levels of sports. So I've always had problems with that being like pessimistic and stuff. But it's basically like, that was just my ego, right? Because I want to win, I want to be validated towards that. So I think what's, for me anyway, would change is because I'm not just a hockey player anymore, I'm a person, I can always win at being a person. I can always win at that. I know I'm a good person. And I'm going to never be perfect. But I'm I know who I am as a person. So that has allowed me to like switch off the pessimistic part where I can keep that in hockey and keep that like fiery competitive person. But you have to embrace the positive side of like of life. So I think that's what's allowed the vehicle that's allowed me to get to the point where now I know, man, when stuff's bad, I just know that that means it's going to end. And then I'm going to feel way better later. Like the only way to feel good, positive emotion is that there is bad. It's that contrast. So I think I'm able to embrace both now. Like, even though I don't may not like it, I'm just kind of like, all right, if stuff's bad. That just means I'm going to work my way out of it. It's going to end just like good things end. And I'm going to get back to feeling good again. So I don't know. So I, I it's kind of weird, but like you add up a bunch of bad days. I just know good days are coming and it's a weird to kind of verbalize, but I've thought about it a lot. Like even when we, you know, sat down this summer, you, me, Ian and Mark, like realizing that there's no good without the bad. There's no bad without the good. So I'm working all these advocacy things to, you know, eliminate hate, but it's never going to be gone. So not get bent out of shape when somebody's hateful towards LGBT people, all that stuff. Like, you know what I mean? It's, you got to look at the positive side of it. And Gary Vee, we're 400 trillion to one to be a human being. And on top of that, we're born in Canada where we're born in good families. Like we have nothing to be that upset about ever. Like, literally ever. And, you know, my girlfriend's much younger than me, and we talk a lot. She gets bent out of shape about things. And I try to, okay, lower myself. I'm getting better at lower myself to her level. But once we're there and we acknowledge it, like, come on, it's really not that bad. Like, we're very lucky people. So I'm just way more embraceful of the positive things in life now. And I don't, when I embrace the positive, I'm not like, oh, still, like, oh, that happened crap today. I'm like, forget about it, man. It doesn't matter. Just be you. Keep doing your thing. Positive, positive thoughts all the time. Yeah. You're such a force for good in the world, man. Thank you, I appreciate that, man. You are too, dude. You're freaking. You and Ian are gonna do some crazy stuff. I don't know if it'll always merge together. He does <laughs> theater thing, but you know, you got you got some awesome stuff uh, to give the world as well, man. And that's but that's because we're secure dudes and we work on ourselves. Like you're not gonna be able to put good back out in the world if you're not practicing good on your own first. So that's the only reason we're able to do that is because we've done the, put the work in.
0: Continue. Yeah, to I think that's why. I think that's why ownership is such an important theme because you can have more than you've got because you can become more than you are. And the becoming more is the challenge, right? But that's only a challenge that you can decide to take on yourself is, i is I'm, I'm, you know, am I gonna invest in myself? Am I gonna work on myself? Am I gonna focus on um, being intentional with the, the way I look at the world? Um, and, I, and I want to, there's one last thing I wanna say, and then, you know, I just got one last question for you. Uh, maybe you can let it marinate. It's just like, whatever's on your heart, anything else you wanna share? Cause I get to kind of direct the, the flow of the interview. And I know, um, you know I know, I know, I know you got a lot of influences in your life from Ian and Michaela and, and all, these, all these positive influences. So if there's anything else you wanna share, but the last thing I wanna do is just like make a, um, a clear acknowledgement to your mom, to Kim, for not only for for being there for me and for always having my back and for embracing me and your family, but uh, for raising for raising you kids, <laughs> um, you know, just definitely one of the strongest women that I've ever met in my entire life. And you seem to do that really well. Attract you know attract those types of women in your life. So thank you, Kim, for bringing up my best friend and for making him such a positive role model in my life, and for doing the same for you for you, Curtis. I don't think uh, you guys you guys got very fortunate with the with the mom like like you have with two
1: personalities like us if we were born to someone who wasn't a good person they might be bad like we are we are you know she's a she's much more reserved but she's just a pure person and we were raised like that growing up and then she kind of let us loose into the world now basically but she sometimes can't believe she we came from her but uh no thank thank goodness for Kim because without her problem probably like we're already we're already a little nuts but we she keeps us on the straight and narrow more
0: yeah she's she's fucking awesome man just like the the values and the principles instilling into you into you guys and just like hearing all the stories of uh, you know being a single mom and all the challenges that must have come with that and like driving you all the practices and you know making sure you guys are taken care of i just like uh, uh it's funny how If anything, Ian keeps mentioning this to me, if anything in history happened differently, then we wouldn't know this exact moment right here. And just all of the resilience um, and strength that Kim had led to all of the good times that Ian and I have shared in us doing this podcast. So
1: thanks, Kim. Talk, Talk about ownership. Like she just, that was just unconditional ownership of, I had two kids. This is the cards we were dealt. I'm on my own now for a bit we have bill come in bill's been awesome my stepdad you know she just anything she got dealt she just took ownership of it and did what she had to do that's what any you can only ask from parents you know as we're older now we see other people go through being brought up by parents that should never have had kids you know it's freedom of you can have kids if you want in this world in this part of the world but not everybody uh puts the time in that should be your ultimate uh your ultimate challenge you undertake so thank god my mom took ownership of that
0: yeah. So I wanted to make sure I got that shout in officially <laughs> and then find out if there was a, is there anything else on your heart, man, that you want to share? I know you got some exciting weeks to come. You're in the, uh, the taxi squad, as you said. Um, but, uh, like you said, you're human first and, uh, you're doing a lot of good in the world. Yeah. So. Just,
1: just, just that, uh, you know, gotta, if you're getting offended by people telling you things, then you need, you have an issue. You know, if you have, if you're seeing me put out stuff that you have problems with and you got to figure out why, like there's just so many clues out there now. And I always see when I see people that put out hate on the internet, um, it's clear ind- indication that they are not happy themselves. So I used to just think, wow, this person's just an ass. No, they're everybody's a good person, I think, but they're just misled, undereducated, unaware. So, be kind to people because as a, we don't know what's going on. And I have the fir- I'm the first to say, I'm the first inclination to fiery to want to just punch somebody in the face that says stupid stuff, right? I've never punched someone in the face off the ice. But, like, you got to have that compassion. And we're able to do that because we've worked on ourselves. So, we got to just help each other out a bit more, have a little more compassion for each other. That's about it. So much, so much
0: divide in the world,
1: man. It's crazy. There's no need for it. It's absolutely, it's just everybody's ego. Everybody's just trying to make their life more interesting, holding on to something. The people that get it are the people that have none of that. Like all the people I work with and stuff, we make sure we were very hold each other accountable. I don't put yes people in my life. You, Ian, Michaela, my mom will tell me right away if I'm off base. So I have people like that with these uh, social issues as well. And we're, we're doing that because we're, we can't have emotional people. You can't, you can't be, insecure and emotional about these issues if you're gonna change
0: them. Yeah, the biggest, the biggest um, realization that I've had for myself is whenever I get into that position of uh, like being defensive and feeling like I'm being judged or criticized or wanting to judge or criticize is because I'm trying to be understood instead of trying to understand where they're coming from. And Anytime where I shift to, okay, what is this person actually trying to say? And why are they trying to say this? And like how do they look at the world because we probably don't look at the world in the exact same way so when i start there then uh, they're not defensive i'm not defensive and then we can actually engage in a dialogue where we can uh, you know try to make positive progress rather than just beating our heads against each other <laughs> yeah it's but
1: i still like I, I talk a big game with that but i still have more work to do with ian in that area like i can handle every other person pretty well now but ian just, we still we're gonna continue to work on that it's
0: continual growth mindset yeah and i think that's one of the beautiful things about uh my relationship with ian as well is he's he's like uh he he, he presents that challenge right of we, we have we all have an opportunity to grow alongside each other and he has this personality who likes to engage in, in uh in, in debate and uh philosophical discord and so we now have the opportunity to practice mm-hmm. what we preach and uh, i think if we keep practicing what we preach here man we'll, we'll uh keep making the world a better place mm-hmm. and i'm uh, happy to be doing it alongside you bro
1: thank you very much buddy i appreciate the uh time i knew it would be it'd, it'd be fun and always doing stuff like this and talking with you or ian or my inner circle people always makes the day better so appreciate that yeah, you got it, man.
0: A lot of ownership coming our way. And uh I'm wishing you the best of luck out there in uh in LA. Thank you very much. Peace.